upstairs with our leaders for what we call Kids Cruise. This is a time of worship designed specifically for them where they get to engage with truths in the Bible. They're going to dig into the, the message of, uh, from their Sunday school lesson this morning and just kind of go even deeper with that. And so we're excited for them to study and learn together this morning and also grateful for all those who are headed upstairs with them to invest in them. All right, Habakkuk chapter 3 is where we're going to be in the text this morning. Now you may or may not be familiar with the book of Habakkuk. There's no shame if you need to look to the front of your Bible and find the, the book in the table of contents. In fact, you may not have even been aware of how to say the name. You may have seen this and thought, what in the world is that? What, what does that even mean? Well, Habakkuk was the name of the author of the book. Aren't you grateful that of all the biblical names that have been passed down through the years, that the name Habakkuk didn't get passed down? My name is really a biblical name. Michael is a, a biblical name. Of course, many people know of the, the angel or the archangel from the Old Testament, Michael. The word Michael itself is just, it's a literal, it's a Hebrew phrase. There are three words in Hebrew, me, which means uh, who, and then kai, which is a conjunction meaning like, and then el is the word for God. So Mikael, Michael, as we say, it just literally means who is like God or one who is like God. Now don't read too much into that. That's not... Uh, that my, my parents just named me Michael because it was a really common name in the late 1970s, right? In fact, for the period of my generation, us late Gen Xers, the name Michael was for many years the most common boy's name that there was. So there's lots of Michaels my age uh, running around. There are no Habakkuks. I've never met another Habakkuk, but uh, some names, some names make it, some names don't. This isn't a name that made it, but Habakkuk is the name of the prophet. And, and we're going to talk a little bit more as we get into this about the, the nature of the, the book itself, but we're going to focus particularly on this passage of text in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17, 18, and 19. The last three verses of this short book that in many ways provide sort of a summary of insight into what the book itself is about. But I'll go even a step further and say that in many ways, what we find in these verses could well be a, a sort of a, a summary of sorts of how the people of God, at least those who were attempting to live in righteousness in their posture, a righteous posture toward God, how they would have responded to the overall message and, and even the events of the Old Testament. Because Habakkuk would have been living right around the time of the fall of Judah. And we know that to be true because of some of the very nature of the book itself. How God says in chapter 1, for example, that he is raising up an army. He's raising up a Cal, uh, an army of Chaldeans. You can go to Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5 and God says, Look and be amazed. I am doing a thing in your generation that you wouldn't believe even if I told you. What is that thing that, that God is doing? We, we know from reading that God is raising up an army to use to punish Judah for their sin. In fact, the very book of Habakkuk begins in chapter 1 
with Habakkuk addressing a complaint of sorts to God, saying, God, I don't like what I'm seeing. God, I don't like what's happening around me. And effectively, he's asking the question, Lord, what are you going to do about all this? Do you ever feel like that with God? Do you ever feel like you can look at the world around us, you look at the culture, you look at the events that are taking place, and you think to yourself, I don't like this. I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't like what's taking place. I don't like the way things are unfolding. And you think to yourself, God, what are you going to do about this? God, when are you going to solve these problems? How are you going to fix? How are you going to right these wrongs? What is it that we can be doing? What is it that can be done about all of this? God's answer to Habakkuk was, look and be amazed because I'm going to do something that you wouldn't believe even if I told you. And to be fair, Habakkuk didn't believe it. He didn't understand it because God's message was, Habakkuk, I'm using these events and I'm going to use the the downfall and the punishment of my people to bring about my purifying justice, to set the stage for a greater salvation to come. Habakkuk didn't, he didn't necessarily uh, delight at that news, right? I mean, that wasn't his initial response was not, oh, yay, God, praise you for allowing us to be captured by a violent foreign enemy. And yet, by the end of the book, we find that he arrives at this place, as we'll read, that he says, I will take joy in the salvation that is to come. God, I trust in you, and I'm going to take joy in your plan. And that really is if I can say it this way, that's the way I want us to approach this this morning, is recognizing that in so many ways, although the precise circumstances are definitely different for us than they would have been for Habakkuk, but in so many ways we can relate because there are so many things that we can look at in the world around us and we recognize that this world is broken, that this world is fallen and stained by sin. We can look even at our own lives. You don't have to look at the culture around us. You can just look within and you see the effects of sin and the consequences brought about by our choices and our sin. And we think, Lord, what can be done about all of this brokenness? And God says, I have a plan. I have a purpose. I have a means, a way to bring about salvation. And what we need to do, the approach we need to take, much like Habakkuk, is to say, Lord, I trust you, and I'm going to delight in the salvation that you bring. I'm going to look to you, I'm going to trust in you, and delight, rejoice, find joy in your salvation. It's important when we consider the news and the headlines of today to consider the source, right? There are so many things. In fact, there was a phrase popularized in, uh, in, in recent election cycles, the, the idea of fake news, right? We're all familiar with the phrase fake news. And that although the phrase fake news itself was sort of just a new pop- popular colloquialism, just kind of a new f- phrase, the reality is that we've known for a while now that there's lots of, there's lots of fake news, if we, can, if we want to call it that out there, right? Lots of stories. Think about websites like Snopes, who, who you know, have the, the whole platform that's been created on trying to debunk these, these certain uh, false, misleading messages, false headlines, those kinds. There's lots of fake news. There's lots of people out there trying to poke holes in the in, in the news. We need, to, we need to consider the source. When you think about how we stay informed of what's happening in the world today, it's important to consider the source. Well, as we think about, as we think about 
Habakkuk's own wrestling with the events of his days. We think about him looking at the literal horizon of things to come and thinking as, as he personifies or, or, or describes himself as the watchman in the watchtower in Habakkuk chapter 2. And as we think about Habakkuk looking out and seeing what's to come, we think about in our day standing, if you will, kind of guard, standing watch and seeing things that appear to be on the horizon and thinking, God, I don't know about all of this. It's important that we consider the source for ourselves as well. The source of where our strength comes from, the source of where we find hope, the source of our joy, the source of what we hope in, trust in, believe in, rely in. And that's the point, ultimately, that Habakkuk arrives at in Habakkuk chapter 3. And so let's read together these verses. I suppose in many ways these are the most well-known verses from the book of Habakkuk. But I also, as I said, I think it, it provides for us in many ways a really great summary of how we should approach God when we think, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I'm not even sure that I like what you're doing. And yet, God, I want to trust you. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. What's interesting is that last little note tells us that this was written as a song. What a song, right? Well, I mean, what a song. Though there be nothing else in all the world that, that, that goes right, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And yet, it's a beautiful song that points us to the hope that we have in the Lord, whom we consider to be truly our source. And so I want us to see three ways in this text that God is our source, that he is presented here as our source. The first of those is he's the source of our supply. Now in verse 17, essentially you could say that it's as if Habakkuk is saying, though, though everything else in this world passes away. And though the, the absolute worst case scenario should become reality, that's what he's presenting here. The fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. If you know much about fig trees, you know that they were a, a, an essential part of the, the supply, the food source, and, and, and even in so many ways, just the staple of the economy of the people of the ancient Near East. And so when the fig tree doesn't blossom and there's no fruit on the vine, that's a sign that things are really bad. And what's more is you know that if the trees aren't producing this year and there's no fruit on the trees this year, then how will they reproduce again next year and in the years to come? In other words, this is pointing to the most the most desperate, the most bleak of all situations. But he goes on, and it actually, it appears to be even worse. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. So it's not just that we don't have what we need now, but 
there's no hope on the horizon for tomorrow. Not only can we not eat, but we don't know where our next meal is coming from, right? It, it appears rather bleak, but it gets even worse. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. The flock from the fold, the herd in the stalls, again, these are essential elements of their, of their economic good, but also just the most staple survival is represented here. Without the flock and the full, without the herd, and the, without the animals, without the food, without the produce, without... And, and so the picture that Habakkuk is painting here is one of ruin. Now, when you consider the rest of the book and everything that God has said to Habakkuk, you, you have a clearer picture of this. Again, if you go back to Habakkuk 1, and if you're following along with our Bible reading plan and you read through the book this week, then, then you've, you've read this, you've seen this. But you go back to Habakkuk chapter 1, and Habakkuk 1 begins in verses 1 through 4 with a complaint that Habakkuk raises. Essentially, he says, Lord, I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand why there's all of this unrighteousness and this wickedness in our day. And God, I don't know what you're going to do about it. And God answers him and says, well, actually, I'm raising up a foreign army, the army of the Chaldeans, a violent army to visit ruin and judgment upon Judah. And that's going to be my plan. Effectively, Habakkuk responds with saying, but God, that's not fair and that's not right. How could you raise up an even more wicked people to deal with us for our wickedness? God, that hardly seems just and right. And God's response, again, is one of patience, but also of righteous understanding. And he effectively says, Habakkuk, my ways are not your ways. I understand what you don't know, and I'm summarizing here, but in, in particular, I would point to, look at chapter 2, verse 4, where God says that the righteous will live by faith, that I want to raise up a people who will live by faith. In fact, that verse is quoted numerous times. That portion of that verse is quoted numerous times in the New Testament. Go to Romans chapter 1, verse 17, Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, quote from Habakkuk 2, 4, that th this idea that the righteous will live by faith. God is essentially saying to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, here's the answer. Trust me. Don't trust in your goods. Don't trust in, your, don't trust in the, the, the fig tree or the olive tree or the herd or the, or, or the, the animals in the stall. Habakkuk, don't trust in all these other things that you see. Don't trust in your might. Don't trust in your strength. Don't trust in your own goodness. Trust in me and my righteousness, that, that I am enough. And so the book ends then in chapter 3 with this prayer that Habakkuk cries out to the Lord. And it's written in such a way, again, as it's a song. We, at, both at the beginning, at the end of chapter 3, we see that language about, uh, well, in, in verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, you see, according to the shigiyunoth, that's, that's an instrument. That's like a stringed instrument. That they, it's, it's, a musical, it's a musical term. And again, at the end, we see choir master string. So, in other words, Habakkuk's response is, God, I'm going to sing. I'm going to praise your goodness even when, even when I don't understand it, even when I don't like it, frankly. 
How could Habakkuk respond with that kind of faith? Because ultimately, he recognizes that God, the Lord, is the source of his supply. That what he needs in order to live a righteous life, what he needs in order to have a right relationship with God is not food, it's not possessions, it's not luxuries, it's not it's not, uh, you know, military might or walls. It's not for their, their political advancement. And all of these things Habakkuk is, is saying, and it's sort of summarized in a sense in verse 17. God, I don't need any of these things. I need you. Yet, and that's a key word, chapter 18, verse 1. Yet. A few weeks ago, I was in Nashville for some meetings with the Southern Baptist Convention. Many of you know that uh, earlier this year at the annual meeting in June in New Orleans of Southern Baptist, I was uh, selected to be a part of the executive committee for Southern Baptist. And so now I serve on what's called the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee. And so we had meetings in, uh, in Nashville. And at these meetings in Nashville a few weeks ago, we heard a really great message, a really great address from Dr. Bart Barber. Bart Barber is currently the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. You may or may not be familiar with him. You probably, I realize, most of you don't keep up with Southern Baptist, you know, uh, happenings and the, the politics of it all, but Bart Barber is a, he, by all, by all appearances, a really great guy. I don't know him personally. I've only just met him, but uh, but he's the president of our Southern Baptist Convention. He pastors the First Baptist Church of Farmersville, Texas, which is sort of in the, right on the outskirts of the, of the Dallas uh, metro area in north-central Texas. And in this, this address, sort of his address to the executive committee, he, he made a link between the events of the 1920s and the 2020s. It was really good. He was talking about how in the 1920s we had just come out of major, a major world war. There had just been a global pandemic. There was an, a great economic crash. There was all of this political fighting and strife. There was a lot of turmoil even in our denomination, in, in, our, in our convention of churches as Southern Baptist about all these, these ideas. And he talked about how from all of that, Southern Baptist rallied together. And what emerged from that were two key things. One was a solid statement of faith that we refer to as the Baptist faith and message. That was the, the 1925 version of that, if you're familiar with the Baptist faith and message. And then the second was the development of what we now call the cooperative program, which in 2025 will celebrate its 100th year. The cooperative program is a way that we fund missions and ministry by churches taking a portion of what we give and, and directing that to the cooperative program. So we do that here at First Baptist. 12.5% of every of all the money that we receive, all the offerings that we receive that are non-designated, we direct toward the cooperative program. So 12 and a half cents of every dollar that is given that isn't directed toward some direct specific cause, we forward along to the cooperative program. And then from there, it goes to support missionaries through our International Mission Board and our North American Mission Board. A portion of that goes to support other, other things that we have, uh, like our Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, our executive uh, committee, and different things. So it's, it's supporting the work of Southern Baptist through a portion of what we give 
as a church. And this is the way that Southern Baptists cooperate together as a, a funding or a sending mechanism. All of that arose from the, the, trouble of the, ni- the troubles of the 1920s, Bart Barber was saying. He went, it, it, you can find this online. It's really good if you just were to Google Bart Barber Executive Committee Address uh, it'll come up, and you'll, you'll find it, and uh, really good. Talking about there were uh, political issues. There were, there were a couple of really prominent seminary figures in those days who, who uh, won a seminary figure, won a convention figure who had, uh, who had lied and, and, and done some, some wrong things with money and, and all these things, right? And he's saying from that, there were people of conviction who ba- rallied together. And the point that he was making was encouraging us to rally together in 2023 because there's, you know, lots of other similar types of issues going on in our culture or world around us. Here's the point that, that I thought was really good about all of that in connecting it with this idea. Is that oftentimes what happens is we can become so easily fixed on the problems and the things that are happening around us, that it becomes, it becomes for us in many ways defeating. We just want to, we just, we want to throw up our hands. What is wrong with this world? What is wrong with the church? What is wrong with our community? What is wrong with our leaders? What is wrong with our families? And we just, we become despondent even about the things. But people of faith, people of conviction, people of courage are the ones who say, even in this, I'm going to look to the Lord. I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to place my faith in Him. I'm going to allow Him to be the source of my strength, not my circumstances, not the things that are happening around me. And as I've been thinking about that and just sort of prayerfully reflecting on that these last uh, few days, especially in connection with this, I've really been challenged to think about when times are hard in my life, do I look to God and say, God, I'm going to trust you all the more, or is it easier for me at times to throw up my hands and say, why, God, why isn't all of this working out the way that I think it should work out? The point of what Habakkuk is making is that his faith here produces trust. And I wonder if we will allow our faith to produce trust in our hearts, in our lives, when we face... Listen, there's lots of things that we could name by name. We could, each of us could make a list of all the things in this world that give us concern. And there are lots. There are plenty. And yet... The real question of faith is, in spite, or I really should say in light of those things, will you trust God and look to Him, or will you just throw up your hands and give up? Habakkuk makes the determined choice to trust in the Lord. He sees God as the source of his supply, even though these things aren't happening. God, even though I have nothing yet I will rejoice in the Lord which really is the the second part of seeing God as our source he's the source of salvation verse 18 so in verse 17 and really the first few words of verse 18 he's the source of supply he's also the source of salvation in verse 18 Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. 
What an incredible thought that in spite of everything else that is going on, in light of all the other reasons that we have to distrust and complain, when our hope is in the Lord, when our hope is in Him as our salvation, when we find joy in our salvation, then we truly live by faith. Then we truly see God as the source. Consider what it means to see God as the source of your salvation. Through faith in Jesus, we are saved from our sin. Now, Habakkuk didn't fully understand and see that. In fact, Habakkuk would have been living some roughly, roughly uh, 500 years, uh, maybe even closer to 600 years, removed from uh, removed from these events. He would have been roughly the 590s BC, 590s, early 580s BC. It's hard to pinpoint precisely, but roughly that period of time before Judah fell to Babylon to the Chaldeans in 586 BC. And so in roughly that period of time, 600 years removed from the time of Jesus, Habakkuk cries out, God, I'm going to trust in you as the joy of my salvation. I will find joy in your salvation. What we know by faith, what Habakkuk believed in the things to come, Hebrews 11 helps connect those dots for us as we think about how salvation works in the Old Testament. The people of God who lived by faith, who trusted in God and the promise of things to come. What Habakkuk understood by faith, we know, we know from Revelation that God sent Jesus in this world to live a sinless, perfect life. And then he offered himself on the cross as payment for our sin. He rose victoriously from the grave on the third day, thus conquering sin and death, and has made a way so that everyone who places their faith and trust in him will be saved. For all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, Romans chapter 10 tells us. And so we can trust in God and find joy in our salvation, which comes through faith in Jesus. He is the source of our salvation. I also think it's important here that he says, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Notice that his joy is not just in the salvation, but his joy is in God who provides salvation. Many people see salvation itself rather than salvation is a means for us to be made right with God. It's not Jesus plus other things. I trust in Jesus so that then I get the good things that come. It's this idea that Jesus plus nothing is everything when we place our faith and our trust in him. Jesus is the joy of our salvation. Jesus is the source of our salvation. Jesus is the fulfillment of our longings. He's the source of all that we hope in. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Have you delighted in the God of salvation? Have you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to him? Every time we baptize someone, we ask this question. Have you trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin and do you confess him as your Lord and Savior? That's just a simple way of asking the question. Have you given your life to him? Are you trusting in him? Do you you recognize Jesus as the source of your salvation? Not in your own strength, 
not in your own goodness, not in your own abilities, do you trust in Jesus? May we be a people who recognize him as the source of our salvation. And then finally, we see that he's also the source of our strength. Not only does he give us salvation, but he gives us strength to live by. Not only does he save us from our sin, but he sustains us day to day as we walk by faith, as we live in this joy of the salvation that we have in him. Jesus is truly the source of our strength. Verse 19, he says, God, the Lord is my strength. God is the source of our salvation, yes, but he's also the source of our strength that we would live. He goes on to describe it this way. He makes my feet like the deer's. Now, that's a common idea presented several times, the book of Isaiah, the book of Psalms. We, we see language about the, the deer, that my feet are like the deer. What does that mean? It's a way, it's a, a figurative language that the Old Testament in particular uses to talk about having certainty amidst uncertainty. So it's the idea of how a, a deer runs with swift feet, but also finds firm footing even on rocky terrain. It's the, it's the picture of stability and certainty amidst uncertainty. Where, where we live, where Rayleigh and I live, there are lots of deer. Uh, in fact, this morning on my way to the church, it was still dark. I left the house about a few minutes before 6.30 this morning, and on my way to church, I passed in one particular spot where there are often deer, I passed a group of some six or seven deer. And that's pretty common that in early morning hours or in the twilight hours of evening, you really got to be careful for the deer. If you've ever seen a deer run, you know that when they run, they, they really sort of leap, the idea of leaping. Now imagine a deer finding footing on a, on a rocky terrain, on a rocky path in your mind, picture what you may know of the, the terrain of Jerusalem, of Judah, of modern-day Israel, the, you know, that surrounding Palestinian territory. Think of what you may recognize as just sort of the, the typical geography there, and picture a deer running along swiftly, and, and the idea is one of grace, stability, firm footing amidst a, a, a rocky, and, and, and so the, the language that's used is trying to encourage us to see that God gives us certainty amidst uncertainty. God gives us stability amidst instabilities. God provides security in spite of our insecurities. He makes my feet like the deer's. He gives me light footing. He helps me to, to walk this path that I've been given. And then he goes on to say, he makes me tread on my high places. Again, just more language kind of pointing to this same visual picture. That God gives us, he gives us stability when we don't have it. He, he is, for us, our, our anchor when we feel anchorless. Hebrews tells us, the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, that, that we can tether our lives to him. We can, he's an anchor for our souls amidst the seas of uncertainty that we face. In other words, he's the source of our strength when we look to him. Not strength in what we can do, not strength in what we can affect, what we can cause, what we can control, 
but rather strength in His sovereign goodness in spite of our circumstances. Again, not to belabor the point, but when we look at the world today, there's lots of reason for us to be uncertain. There's lots of things that we can point to and say, this is really troubling. And yet, even with that, God is still on his throne. As we sang earlier, his mercies are new every morning. He will give us what we need to live day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour, if we will trust in him. God is the source of our strength. If you were dependent upon your strength, your ability to control, your ability to provide, you would be in great trouble. And in fact, I wonder if there are some today who are trusting in your own ability. Perhaps part of the reason it's so difficult for you to have hope in the midst of your life situation is because you're not trusting in God, you're trusting in yourself. Listen, if all I have to hope in in this life is, is Michael and what I can do and what I can control, then I am in a desperate situation. Because even at my best, I'm powerless against so many things in this world. And if we were being honest, all of us would, would share the same. Even at our best, even at our, even, even at our, our, our greatest, there's so many things in this world we cannot control. And yet, praise the Lord, we trust a God who has power and control over all things. He is the source of our strength, the source of our salvation, the source of our supply. And that the answer Habakkuk arrives at is not saying, Lord, I really, I'm great with this, okay. But saying, okay, but Lord, if that's your plan, then I trust you. Look at verse 16, chapter 3, verse 16. I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, and my legs tremble beneath me. That hardly sounds like the picture of somebody who's just swelling with strength and pride, right? But then he says, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Lord, even though this is broken and desperate, even though I find no joy and no hope in this picture of tomorrow that you've shown me, yet I quietly wait for the day of trouble to come. Because Lord, I know that if you're in control, even this, even this, fits with your plan. Will we have the same kind of faith, the same kind of trust? Will we arrive similarly at a place where we say, God, no matter what may come, I trust in you and I look to you, the source of supply, the source of salvation, the source of strength. In a moment, we're going to move into a time of response, a time of invitation. And in our time of invitation today, I wonder, is there anyone here who who recognizes this morning, there's never been a moment when you have trusted in Jesus as the source of your salvation. You've never looked to him for the forgiveness of your sins. Then even as we stand and we begin to sing together, then I would invite you today to place your faith and your trust in him. In fact, as we begin to sing, our staff will be here at the front 
And we'll be standing here ready that you could step out in the aisle. You could make your way forward. Let us pray with you a prayer of faith saying, God, I trust you. I trust you to take my sin, my brokenness, and to make me new. God, I trust you to take what I can't fix and make it right. That you've done everything in Jesus. And when I have you, I have everything I need. The source of my supply, the source of my salvation, the source of my strength. Maybe you've trusted in him for salvation, for the forgiveness of your sin, but you still struggle with the idea of living in his strength. Today, would you be willing to say, Lord, I want to be surrendered to you. God, I want to trust in you. Lord, I want to stop trying to do all of this in my own strength, and instead, Lord, I want to trust in the strength that you provide. As we pray together, as we sing and really celebrate God's goodness together, our hope is that we would all turn our hearts and our lives to him and say, Lord, you are everything. And when we have you, we have everything we need. The source of our everything, Jesus, as we look to you. Would you bow your head with me and close your eyes? And as we prepare for this time of response, I want to encourage you just to look inward, just to reflect inwardly and and. and and sort of examine your own heart, examine your own life. Do you see the evidence of faith? Do you see in your life the evidence of this abiding trust in God, that you would look to Him, that you would trust in Him? Are you willing, are you willing to respond by surrendering, submitting your life, your will, your all to Him? Lord, show us this morning that you are the source, the source of supply, the source of salvation, the source of strength. As we place our faith and trust in you, we know that this is not a magic cure-all. This doesn't fix all the problems, but it does give us the confident assurance that despite the problems, you are sovereign and you are in control. We look to you. We trust in you. We rely on you, Jesus, and not our own strength. And so now, Lord, even as we sing this truth, we trust in you. May you move in our hearts and our midst today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand together this morning to sing this song of invitation, we want to invite you to come. If God is stirring your heart, if you're ready to trust in Jesus for salvation today, and even as we sing, would you step into the aisle, make your way forward? If God is leading you to trust in him, maybe you want to just spend some time here at the altar in prayer this morning. We invite you to do that as well. Would you respond to him this morning as he moves? You come while we sing. So sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the safe the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how